Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Katolka, host of the Friends of Israel Today, and it's hard to believe, but 2017 is already coming to a close. As you're considering your year-end giving, would you remember the radio ministry of the Friends of Israel? Your donation keeps the Friends of Israel Today on the air and allows us to continue teaching biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah as we stand alongside our Jewish friends. Visit foiradio.org, and there you'll find a donate link. Or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Also, let us know where you're listening when you contact us, and thank you for your prayers and continual support of our radio ministry. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and today we begin a new series that will take us through the end of the year. Eden to Eden, God's Relentless Pursuit of Us. From the scriptures, Chris will show us how God's unfolding story is all about his desire to bring you back to the Garden of Eden. That's right, Steve. And to kick off our series, Eden to Eden, we have to understand what the Garden of Eden was and to know why God wants to bring us back. Also, We can't forget about Thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about the turkey and the stuffing, which I know we're all looking forward to. I'm talking about why thankfulness is such an important quality and characteristic in the Christian life. When you read through the Bible, you see something. The Bible was written by 40 authors over 1,500 years in three different continents. And something comes across that always makes me marvel at the majesty of our God. The Bible opens in Genesis with the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible ends in Revelation with the tree of life in the middle of the New Jerusalem. And in each bookend, God is present with his people. And when I saw this for the first time, I thought to myself, God's story in the Bible is a story of getting us from Eden to Eden. God wants to be with us, his creation, in an unfettered, unhindered way. God wants to fellowship with us one-on-one. And the one thing that stands in our way is our disobedience and our sin. So as you study the Bible, what you see is that everything between Genesis chapter 3 And Revelation chapter 21 is the story of God's pursuit, his pursuit to bring us back to Eden. And to understand why God wants to get us back to Eden, first we need to know exactly what Eden was to begin with. We all know the story of the Garden of Eden. Maybe you've seen Eden on a felt board in Sunday school, or or maybe you've even read about Eden in a Bible story growing up. Eden is the place where God put Adam after he created him. Genesis chapter 2 verses 5 through 7 says that nothing had grown on the earth yet because there was no rain and no man to cultivate the ground. Moses, who wrote Genesis, is trying to convey that there was nothing. It was barren. It was just empty, barren land. So first, God caused springs from the earth to water the surface of the ground. And then from that same soil, he formed Adam and God breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So now God has both fertile soil and a gardener to cultivate the ground to produce fruit. 
Now, God goes even one step further. It's God who plants the garden in Eden, as it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And this is the first place Eden appears is in the creation account of Genesis chapter 2. And the first time it's mentioned, it really isn't even called the Garden of Eden. It's called the Garden in Eden. Think of it more like an orchard with a hedge or even like a park. That's what Eden was. Moses in Genesis chapter 2 says Eden was east of where they were. So that's east of the land of Israel. From Eden flows the headwaters that divide into four major rivers, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and Euphrates. And what's being conveyed when when Moses mentions these four rivers is that Eden is the source. Eden is the place of abundance and provision. So right from the beginning, we see that God is the potter. He formed man. He's the planter. He he, he plants the, the garden, and he's also the provider. He shapes man from the dust of the earth, and he breathes life into him. Then God, the creator, planted Adam in the garden where he could thrive and fulfill his divine purpose of cultivating what God created for him. And notice, the garden God plants is positioned in a place of abundance. First, it says in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 2 that God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And in verse 10, it says that the river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from Eden it divided into four major rivers. The Lord gave Adam the divine task to work and to keep the garden. And these are such interesting words for Moses to use when defining Adam's role in the Garden of Eden. Because in Hebrew, they are the same words assigned to the priests of Israel in the tabernacle. The Hebrew word for work is the same word to serve. And the priests were to serve the Lord in the tabernacle and to serve the people of Israel, to help cultivate the relationship between the two of them. And just as Adam was to guard and keep the Garden of Eden, the priests were to keep and guard the law of God as it relates to how the Israelites should worship him. And God even goes as far as to provide for Adam a helper in the garden, Eve. And I love the way one commentator put it. To help someone does not imply that the helper is stronger than the helped, simply that the latter's strength is inadequate by itself. God in many ways completed Adam by giving him Eve. Now I want you to step back and let's notice the players in the setting of Genesis 2. First is God, the creator. The second is his creation, Adam and Eve, and the setting, the Garden of Eden. In Eden, think about this, God is personally present with Adam and Eve. In many ways, he's dwelling with them in his creation. It was a place of divine residence on earth where God met with Adam and Eve, unhindered by sin, by shame and guilt. The garden was more than just a place to grow food for survival. The greater purpose of the Garden of Eden was the idea that it served as a sanctuary where God dwelled and was to be worshipped. And we all know the story, though. There were two trees in the middle of the garden, one called the tree of life and the other called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And Adam and Eve were commanded by God to eat of any tree in the garden except the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Essentially, it's not about the nature of the trees. That's what I want you to think about. It, it, you know, it's not about uh, the names of the trees. You know, we focus so much on these trees. The real issue is about whether or not man is willing to live such a life in such a place on God's terms. And clearly the serpent Satan convinced Adam and Eve to choose disobedience over obedience. They chose the one tree that they weren't allowed to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is just another way of Adam and Eve signaling to God, I'll do things my way. Now think about this. Because Eden is much like a sanctuary where God interacted with his creation and was to be worshipped by his people, his holiness couldn't stand to be in the midst of such sin. So God banished Adam and Eve from Eden, from paradise, actually. And in the end of Genesis chapter 3, when God drove out man, he placed on the eastern side of the orchard in Eden angelic beings who used the flame of whirling swords to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's what God wants, my friends. Listen to this. He wants to get us back to Eden. And he's been pursuing us all throughout history and even today so that we could enjoy Eden with him. You know, God takes pleasure in being with his creation. He, he made heaven and earth so that we would enjoy, cultivate, inhabit his creation with him, our creator. You know, God may have driven Adam and Eve out of the garden, but he's been fighting in many ways to bring us back. And that's what this whole series is about. God's pursuit to bring us back to Eden. And the idea of God's pursuit is really the whole theme of the Bible. Watch how God pursued Adam and Eve after they sinned. When the two ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, disobeying the omniscient creator God, God gently appears in the garden saying to Adam and Eve, where are you? God's grace and pursuit of us, even in our sin, is seen when God calls to Adam and Eve and asks, where are you? Another way God pursues us is seen in the way he promises to Adam and Eve a way back to Eden when he lays out a prophetic plan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God says a day is coming when he will allow the child of a woman to, be, to crush the head of a serpent, but the serpent will only strike his heel. A, a picture, a prophecy of Jesus the Messiah crushing Satan and death once for all at his death resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father. And finally, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that the Lord God made garments from skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. God is preparing Adam and Eve for a more hostile environment outside of Eden. But even more, it's a picture of God's provision in sacrificing an animal to provide covering for their shame. A sacrifice that would move to the Israelites and ultimately to the sacrifice of Christ. You know, God could have just left Adam and Eve to flounder in the barren wilderness. But out of his desire to bring us back to Eden one day, he pursued Adam and Eve. And for the rest of 2017, we're going to walk through the Bible to see that pursuit in action. 
Think about it. God has been pursuing you and me. Why? Well, next week you'll want to join us because we're going to look at what drives God to engage and pursue us, even though we, like Adam and Eve, disobey and sin against him. Israel always has been and always will be central in God's redemptive plan to repair our world. And that's why I want to introduce you to Repairing Our World, Israel Through the Ages. This is our eight-CD set containing 15 messages from our 2016 Prophecy Conference season. You'll hear speakers talk all about how God's plan for Israel fits into his ultimate plan of redemption. And here's the best part, everybody. It's discounted. It's a special low price of $10. That's already 50% off of our discounted price. And you can get your CD set of Repairing Our World, Israel Through the Ages by reaching us at foiradio.org or calling us at 888-343-6940. If there is one thing God loves, it's when his people say thank you. And I mean, I totally get it too. As my kids are growing older, my daughter Olive, who's seven, my twin sons Cohen and Preston, who are four, and our newborn Levi, who's five months, whenever my kids look at me and say, thanks, Dad, not that I expect Levi, who's five months, to do that. Whenever they look at me and say, thanks, Dad, for whatever reason, it makes me feel as though they're connected it makes me feel as though they're engaged, that they understand that our house, yeah, our food, our water, our clothing uh, doesn't just come out of thin air, but that it costs something. So when they say thanks to me or my wife, Karen, I can't help but be a proud dad, that they're maturing. The Apostle Paul reminds us that being thankful doesn't come naturally to the flesh. Paul says in Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, talking about the world, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Listen, because the world forgot about God and forgot to glorify him and simply say thanks, their minds and their hearts were darkened and given over to the things of the world. And and I want you to see what the lack of thankfulness produced in the hearts and minds of those who forgot about God, which I believe is a condition we deal with today as much as Paul dealt with in his day. When someone doesn't believe in God and lacks the ability to be thankful, to have gratitude, the one place for them to turn is inward. And in some weird way, they thank themselves. And and they become their own gods and create their own rules and their own world. An unthankful person essentially becomes narcissistic, which is just another way to say it's to have an unhealthy interest in yourself. And one of the traits of a narcissist is they are entitled. They say things like, life owes me something. People owe me something. I deserve this. 
Look, when the Apostle Paul says when the world forgot God in Romans chapter 1, their hearts and mind were darkened, and what that produced was an inward focus as a result. What did they do? They exchanged what God gave them for something they invented for themselves. They created gods in their own image, idols. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie they created themselves. They exchanged God's gift of sex and marriage between a man and a woman for unnatural ones, something they created themselves. Look, my friends, a thankful heart to the creator God redirects your compass. When you're thankful to God for everything he's done in Christ Jesus, it takes you out of yourself and focuses you on the one who created you. Mark T. Mitchell, professor of political science at Patrick Henry College, wrote, Gratitude is born of humility, for it acknowledges the giftedness of the creation and the benevolence of the creator. This recognition gives birth to acts marked by attention and responsibility. Ingratitude, on the other hand, is marked by hubris, which denies the gift, and this always leads to inattention, irresponsibility, and abuse. Remember I told you how proud I am as a dad whenever my kids say thank you because I feel as though they're engaged, they're connected to the, the bigger picture? That's exactly what Mark Mitchell is saying here. He's saying that gratitude gives this idea, it produces attention and responsibility because you see the bigger picture outside of yourself. You know, as we're going through our series, Eden to Eden, and we're seeing God's pursuit to be with you, to get back to Eden so that he can be with you without anything standing between us, this Thanksgiving season, I want to encourage you to say thanks to God for pursuing us, even when we don't deserve it. Give thanks to God because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's our God who pursued us even in our sin. And may he forever be given thanks. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. When I returned from the army recently, there was a surprise waiting for me, two angry ladies. They were from the Agdat Israel, a zealous Jewish group. What do you wish of me, I asked. We have come to save your family from death, they replied. What death? I asked. Who wants to kill us? Jews, they replied. We have heard about you, that you are a convert. We want to help you and your family. We want to save you. First, I began, 
It is you who need salvation. I am saved. Even if you sincerely want to do something for me, you cannot because you have no power. You are weak in faith, and so can you help others? I am sure God sent you to me so that you could be shown the way of salvation through our Lord, our Savior, who died on the cross and now lives. We are not here to listen to your missionary propaganda, they said. You are also missionaries, I told them, because you have come to me with your propaganda. We are not missionaries. You are, they exclaimed. Yes, I am. Even Abraham was a missionary along with Jonah and the other prophets. Why am I then forbidden to be a missionary? The ladies threatened to have my position published in all the newspapers, saying that I am sowing poison against God in the Holy Land. I asked, how do you know that I sow poison? They did not answer me immediately. But finally one of them said, if I could, I would kill you. I then opened the New Testament and read to her Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, which tells believers to love others. If you call this poison, I told her, then I do not know what to say. I know that all the people to whom I speak about our Savior are alive. They are happy because they have hope and they shall never die. If that is so, she threatened, we will write about you, and then you will be sorry. Never, I replied. Not only will I read this scripture to you, but I am ready to face every obstacle you place in my path. I am not afraid. We are weak women, she said. We will send our husbands to you. They are strong. If you like, I said, I will go with you to your home right now. No one can do me harm if it is not God's will, I insisted. Then one woman asked the other, What shall we do now? They spoke Russian between themselves, not realizing that I know Russian well. One asked, What should we say to him, for he is right? No, he is not right, the other insisted. But how can you show him, her friend asked. I know how, the other assured her. We will tell him that we will come again to continue our conversation. Then they told me in Hebrew what they had decided. But to their amazement, I responded in Russian, I must share with you who is right, because you are not right. Since you know Russian, the one said, we must be honest with you. You are right. We have no power but we will not give up. Oh, that is good. Do not give up. Pray to our Father in heaven and ask him to reveal the truth to you. Chris, today on the program, we talked about a biblical approach to Thanksgiving. And I'm wondering, what are you thankful for this year? I just want to say this, uh, and I mean this. I am so thankful to our listeners who take a half hour out of their day listening on the radio or listening on podcasts around the world to listen to the Friends of Israel today, to support us, to pray for us. Uh, Honestly, we couldn't do this without you, and we are thankful for you. And and I also am going to take a moment to just say how thankful I am uh, that God 
pursues us. He actively pursues us and wants a relationship with us. And for that reason, I am very thankful. I feel the same way, Chris, and those of our listeners in the U.S., we do wish a happy Thanksgiving. And we ask that you would visit us at foiradio.org, that's foiradio.org, or contact our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. And as mentioned at the top of the program, if you feel led to donate to this radio program, you can write to us at P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. <laughs>